0: Well, oh, good morning. Good to be with you once again this Sunday morning to share God's Word with you. I've enjoyed uh, being with you these last two Sundays, and uh, I trust that as we uh, look into God's Word together and uh, look at the wonderful Savior, Jesus, that our hearts will be encouraged together. Would you just uh, take a moment with me as, uh, as I pray just now? Now, Father, uh, so much uh, of service has already taken place this morning. We've enjoyed worshiping together. But I pray just now, Spirit of God, that you would settle our hearts. We want to be ready for what you want to say through your word, which is precious. And now, Spirit of God, take the word of God and bless the dear people of God, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. So I've chosen for my text this morning, Hebrews, uh, sorry, uh, yes, Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verses 1 to 6. You might like to find your place, and uh, we will um, arrive there in just a, a moment. My encouragement today is to keep looking to Jesus. Keep looking to Jesus. I have a picture here of our Second granddaughter, this is Lennon Clayson. Little Lennon was tiny when she was born on June the 8th, and there were concerns for her well-being. Our daughter Emma and her husband Graham were informed by the physician that their doctor needed to be born at Hamilton's Sick Children's Hospital in case of any complications. And so we thank God that he provided this beautiful five-pound 12 ounce treasure she's now five months old can't believe it but here's what we noticed as she began to grow as with all babies she began to respond to voices and to sounds those uh twirly mobile things you know and uh but then there came the smile the smile that melts papa and we just love her I'm told that attention is one of the most powerful forces in the world. And along with food and water, a baby needs the attentive gaze of a human face. The baby lies in the crib and smiles and the face smiles back and the baby realizes someone's watching. Psychologists speak of this as attunement attunement. The baby realizes that it's possible somehow to be connected in tune with another human being. A child simply cannot survive without the face. And so one of the great miracles of life is that God pays attention to us. And this is partly why the writers of scripture speak so often of God's face. And this is the hope of the great priestly blessing that is found and that God himself taught the, the people of Israel. It's in Numbers, the book of Numbers, chapter six. You know it, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Now to turn someone's face to another is, a, is, is really to give that person your wholehearted attention. It, it, it's not the casual listening of a preoccupied mind. It, it, you're really making a statement when you lock eyes with someone, it's like I have nowhere else to be, nothing else I'd rather do, you've got my wholehearted attention. That's the kind of attention that God lavishes upon us. But listen, it gets better. This blessing in the book of Numbers tells us that God says he will not only turn his face toward us, he will make it shine on us. And a shining face is an image of delight, a proud parent, just beaming and bursting over something their child does. We can turn our face or pay attention to anyone with little effort, but our face shines and grows radiant in the presence of those that we love most deeply. And this, says the prayer, is how God gives his attention to his children. I came across this quote by Charles Spurgeon. I can't get it out of my mind. It's this, God's thoughts of you are many. Let not yours be few in return. God's thoughts of you are many. Let not yours be few in return. So I'm trying to make the point this morning that our Lord's loving attention is upon us. Now, given this background, I wanna sort of turn the tables and ask that you look at Hebrews chapter 12 with me this morning. Let's read these verses. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight whom he receives. This is the word of the Lord. Now chapter 12 here has the imagery of athletics, of, uh, of people in a race and, and running and uh, the, the secondary theme is that of endurance. So if you're going to run, you, you need to practice, you need to have the lungs, you need to have the ability to have your muscles stretched and, and the ability to endure. And so my encouragement for you in these days is that as a new pastor joins you, as, as the one who will be the lead shepherd, can I just pause for a moment because here's, here's often what happens. We've done all this work, arranging meetings, we've done all this work to make sure that everyone is gonna vote and the vote takes place and Finally, there's a commitment and this new pastor is coming. But here's what often happens. He's here. I don't have to do anything now. Folks, it's only just begun. It's only just begun because now, as your lead pastor leads according to the Spirit of God, you must step in line and say... By God's grace, we'll do this. And think of the great things that are ahead for Crestwick. So, you have many more years ahead of being a faithful witness for Christ as you keep your eyes upon Christ, not your new pastor. Certainly follow him. Certainly follow his lead. But all I'm saying is keep your eyes on Christ. Why do I say that? because human leaders let us down. I trust that will never happen, but I'm sure as standing here that it will happen. Need to keep our eyes on Christ. Very often in my life I've found myself distracted from the pursuit of Christ in all areas of my life and sometimes these these distractions have been from very good things in my life. Good things in ministry. Uh, good relationships, and unfortunately, I've let these things give me reasons for neglecting that authentic pursuit of Jesus. Now, taking our eyes off Jesus is one of the most dangerous things that, uh, that we can do, and yet, paradoxically, it's one of the easiest things that we could do. I mean, we can let past hurts or troubles turn our attention away i mentioned my uh, my father last sunday that's what happened to him oh there was some grumbling and squabble in the church family and he stopped going to church and for many years as the youngest one in the family i prayed that god would save him oh he had given his heart to christ he was just embittered he was away from the lord picked up all kinds of bad habits that you wouldn't believe, drank and smoked like the best of them. That's what can happen when we don't focus on Christ. We can allow present fears, present things within the family to bug us and get us to deflect our attention away from the one who's given his life for us. And so keeping our eyes on Jesus is rarely an easy thing to do our old fleshly natures conspire against us at any attempt to remain faithful to Jesus and so we can allow these cares of the world to push us away from the Lord instead of looking to him in the midst of sometimes painful and and uh, current difficult situations I mean If there's anything that that, uh, I've noticed during this pandemic, it's been this, that we've allowed some of the present fear to deflect our attention. And if we're not careful, it divides the body of Christ. We can't do that. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus. And if we depend on our own strength and faithfulness, we'll fall flat And that's why the author of Hebrews here reminds us to look to Jesus. Well, how will we run this race with endurance? How will our faith be strengthened for the journey? This next slide tells us we're to run with endurance looking to Jesus. But there's a danger of becoming discouraged. Discouraged. In fact, the Hebrew, the, the writer of this book in, in chapter 10 and verse 23 says, "Hold on to the confession of hope that's yours without wavering." Then in verse 35 of chapter 10, don't throw away your confidence. In this few verses that we read together, don't grow weary. And then down in verse 12 of this same chapter, therefore strengthen tired hands and weakened knees. Well, why would these people be discouraged, you might ask? Well, there were two troubling factors. It was as though they were beginning to realize, hey, um, we're experiencing some persecution. We didn't know that we had signed up for that. The persecution was real. Secondly, there was the delayed fulfillment of the divine promise. You say, well, what's that? It was threefold. First, the Lord said he would return, and he hadn't. The believer's resurrection and the promise of a new Jerusalem still had not taken place. And so in five places in the New Testament, it likens the Christian life to a race. A marathon race, I think, is more exact. And the word race comes from the Greek word agon, which we get the word agony from. And the Christian race is not a jog. It's rather a demanding, grueling, sometimes agonizing race. It takes a massive effort to finish the race strong. I uh, was reading acclaimed Christian author Philip Yancey and he recounts his experience running in a Chicago Marathon. He writes this. The marathon seemed a different kind of athletic event altogether. It took me so long. Three and a half hours compared to 40 minutes for a 10K race. So much so that I struggled with mental focus. In shorter races, I always managed to stay aware of how I was doing. In the marathon, I felt like I was wearing blinders, unable to concentrate on the race as a whole. I fixated on the pain in my big left toe or my bladder's fullness, the quivering muscle in my right calf, running on a cold rainy day in Chicago, I could feel blisters developing on my feet from the friction of wet socks. He goes on to say, a friend had agreed to meet me at the 16K mark, and when he failed to appear, I sunk into a depression that lasted for about eight kilometers. I forced myself to look at the runners around me. I forced myself to also look at the Chicago neighborhoods and listen to the bands along the route. As I passed 27 kilometers, a roar went up from the crowd who had just heard on the radio that the first runners had finished and crossed the finish line. Then my friend appeared. And for the first time, I had someone to talk to. Chicago had closed off so many streets, he told me that um, the rendezvous uh, appointed place was not possible. And he explained this as he jogged beside me in an unforgettable act of friendship. His friend in plain street clothes jogged beside me for the remaining nine kilometers of the race just to encourage me. Here's the simple point of this story. If you're going to run a marathon, don't run alone. Similarly, if you're planning on persevering in this Christian faith, don't do it alone. Do it in community. We need to be in community to know that we're part of something larger than just ourselves. God didn't just call us to believe, but also to belong. You belong here. And so, these deceased people of chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews that's the great faith chapter. You should should go through and run down who all these people are. They give witness to the value and blessing of living by faith. We learn from them, it's the motivation for running the race. It's not, it's not that they're the spectators who are looking on us today and cheering us on. It's that we can learn from their example. And we can say, God provided for them. He will provide for me. I was doing some reading about the early Celtic Christian formation. I know some of you have roots in Ireland, but uh, this is uh, this pretty pretty interesting. You know that if you went to uh, church as these Celtic believers did, they would often bury their dead in front of the church. And so you would be walking through a graveyard to enter the church. And so you think, well, that's kind of a morbid thought. It wasn't for them because what it was for them was they have gone on before. They're praising God. God provided for them. He will provide for me. It was an encouragement every time they walked in and out of church. These witnesses teach us the value of faith. It is to them and through them that this text says, let us run with patient endurance looking to Jesus. And so for the record, this Greek word that's used here for patience is a very descriptive one. Figuratively, it means taking a long time to boil. Now, there are a number of factors that determine the speed at which water boils. You know, the intensity of the flame, of course, but water boils quickly when the flame is high. And just the opposite is true. It boils slowly when you turn the flame down. Patience, then, keeps the burner down. That's easier said than done, isn't it? Because we're very impatient. And patience is a decision to pause rather than push, Pastor Andy Stanley reminds us. So there's this call to patience, but there's also a call to get rid of the weight. You say, what's that about? Well, it's like a warning light going off. It's like stepping onto an elevator with too many people, and you hear that sound. And you read, and it says only this much weight so somebody politely gets off too much weight he says the sin that so easily entangles us remove it it's a call to purity it's a call to patience it's a call to purity and so we're to keep our eyes fixed We're to keep our eyes focused. We're to rivet our attention upon Jesus. And so the next slide reminds us there are some motivations, three of them, to keep looking to Jesus. Let's look at these together this morning. The first is because of who he is. We keep our eyes fixed on Him because He's the author and perfecter of our faith. He's the author of salvation. He's the pioneer or the originator of our salvation. He's the the one who begins and takes the lead, the preeminent one, the chief example. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 says that he was tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Not only is he the author of faith, he's the one who perfects our faith. The one who will carry it through to completion. His last words, it is finished. Our salvation was completed. Nothing needs to be added to it now listen folks we're not just talking about a report here this is our salvation we're talking about this is salvation that was provided for us nothing we can do to to uh, receive this it was all done on our behalf and so by faith alone by grace alone we receive salvation this salvation is tremendous John MacArthur says here that his work on the cross was finished not only in that it was completed, but in that it was perfected. He's the author and perfecter of our salvation. That means if you've been on the road a long time as a believer following Jesus, your salvation is provided for. It means for the person who's opened their heart to Christ In the last few moments, this salvation is the same. Full, rich, complete. Contemplate that. He's the author and the perfecter of our faith. We keep looking to Jesus because of who he is. But secondly, we look to Jesus because of what he did. Not only because of who he is, but because of what he did. He endured the cross, the writer says. And so in faith, Jesus endured the cross and despised the shame. It was a shameful thing to be executed upon a Roman cross. If you do any reading to understand the horrors of a crucifixion, it's not pretty. And we sort of pretty if that's a word, Uh, the cross when we wear it on a chain but it, it was it was just a horrific thing and jesus went to the cross he endured all that it demanded and he endured all that the father demanded i hope you understand that the father's purpose was to crush the son It's hard for us to contemplate. But he willingly and obediently accepted the shame for the sake of the Father's reward so that you, so that I, could enjoy this rich salvation. For him, there was the joy of anticipating the Father's reward. There was that crown of righteousness. So a motivation to keep looking is because of what he did. There's a third reason. There's a third motivation. Not only because of who he is, because of what he did, but look with me now, because of where he reigns. Where is he? Today he's seated at the right hand of God. It's a position of absolute authority. One day, a drug enforcement officer rolled into a a ranch and a farm in Texas, and uh, he found the farmer and explained to him, listen, I need to inspect your property for illegally grown drugs. Well, that's fine, said the farmer, but then he pointed, he said, just don't go into that field over there. Well at that point, the drug enforcement officer became unglued, he, he jammed his hand into his pocket, pulled out a badge and shoved it in the farmer's face and, and uh, basically he said, listen, this is, this is federal authority and you understand by federal authority I can go anywhere I want, no questions asked, no answers needed, is that clear? And politely the farmer just waved him on not long after this, the farmer heard screams of terror coming from this officer. Pausing from his chores, he looked up to see the officer running for his life from the farmer's long-horned bull. So the farmer dropped his tools and ran to the fence and he shouted, your badge, show him your badge. Listen, the Lord Jesus has much more than federal authority. He obediently, willingly, followed perfectly, without sin, went to the cross, did all of this to purchase our salvation, and he now sits in a position of absolute authority. He's the one, as we were singing this morning, is the one who who prays for us, If you knew that someone was praying for you, would you be concerned if it was the person of the Lord Jesus? He is. He's praying for you today, that Satan won't sift you as chaff. He's praying that you'll stand strong, that you'll remain focused upon him. Well, we rejoice that one day we'll live together with him, but we should also rejoice that, hey, right now we can live like him not in our own power, but just uh, in his power and just as he did on earth. Truly, we can say as the apostle Paul did, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This brings me great encouragement, I trust it does for you. But we come to this portion in, in, in the passage that talks about discipline. And um, this is uh, somewhat hard to understand. And uh, so in, in what we would call a, a normal life, we sort of drift along. We, uh, we have a set of assumptions that we believe. Um, I feel secure because I have a certain amount of money. I have an identity because I have a certain job or a title or a degree or a list of achievements. I have a purpose because I'm going to achieve more than I already have. And and so life just somehow seems to work. But then a crisis hits. It could be a financial problem. Maybe you lose your job. Or maybe you lose someone you love dearly. You go to the doctor's office and you find out you have a malignancy. Or there's a scandal and you lose your reputation. Your son or your daughter rejects you, running down a road that just violates everything that you believe in. Any crisis carries in its wake the question, what am I building my life on? that circumstances cannot rob me of. What really matters? It's keeping our focus on Jesus. And so this word discipline has its primary context in the family. It expresses a a parent's concern uh, to train and develop the values and the characteristics which in, in, in the child's best interest. And so God always has these goals in mind uh, with us as his spiritual children. And we tend to use these words loosely, but I direct you, the word discipline is more apt to be used rather than punishment. It's discipline. It seems the more apt turn for the Father's love. Now slide down the timeline some 600 years to the left as we go into the Older Testament and learn a lesson from the prophet Jeremiah. This next slide reminds us. Jeremiah says in the book of Lamentations, I'm a man who has seen affliction under the rod of God's wrath, he's driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. We find the prophet was depressed. Jerusalem was under siege. His nation was under duress. His world collapsed like a sandcastle in a typhoon. He, he faulted God for his horrible emotion. And also blame God for his physical ailments. He says, God has made my flesh and my skin waste away and broken my bones. His body ached. His heart was weak. His faith was puny. God has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. Jeremiah was trapped like a man on a dead end street. He said, he has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He's put heavy chains on me. And though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked me, my ways with hewn stones. He's made my paths crooked. Jeremiah could tell you the size of the waves and the speed of the wind. But then he realized he was sinking in the waves. So he shifted his gaze. Listen to him. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, and therefore I will hope in him. Depressed, Jeremiah altered his thoughts, shifted his attention, and turned his eyes away from the waves and looked to the wonder of God. In this last slide, (coughs) he quickly recites a quintet of promises. Look at them with me. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion. Well, in this story, as we look at Jeremiah, the storm didn't cease, but his discouragement ended. He had a new focus. And I encourage you as the family of God here at Crestwick, keep your eyes on Jesus. Jesus. Keep looking to Christ in these days. The storm may not end, but your discouragement will as you look to our great Savior. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you, Lord, that you visit us with your grace. You are the one who provides faith to believe that the one who provided salvation is able to accomplish it in our experience. And so, Lord, this morning there may be some here who would respond in faith because your Spirit is directing them to. Not something that they're doing in and of themselves. It's today a simple matter of believing in faith that what Christ has done What Christ has said, I believe and I receive by faith for myself. And then, Father, for a great many of us, it is probably the encouragement that we need today, not only to keep uh, running with patience the race, but to share Christ with people around us. Simply love those who need to be loved. And so we keep our eyes on you, looking for the prompting of your spirit to provide hope and help to those who cross our path. Be gracious to us, Lord. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.